0: Allow me to introduce you to the fierce and fabulous Jen Kim. Jennifer Kim is the founder of Seen, Heard, Paid Live. I'm going to tell you more about that in just a second. And creator of the popular brand thought leadership program, Master Brand. Also, the only launch implementation incubator in the business called Momentum Pro. MoPro for short. I love how she names things. For 18 years, Jen has been working with Fortune 500 companies like Verizon, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Oracle, and others to launch products and develop brand strategies using her proprietary and powerful brand archetype indicator mix used by hundreds of marketing teams and entrepreneurs worldwide. She's worked with, yes, entrepreneurs, thought leaders, best-selling authors, celebrities, and speakers, and her passion is helping people create a legacy through aligning their values with their prosperity. She lives, works, plays, and slays in Honolulu, Hawaii with her husband, three kids, and three dogs. Plus me. Yes. Well, we don't actually live together, but we do like to hang out as often as we can. And Jen and I finally met online through our mutual biz buddy and friend tour, Dan Martell, back in 2016. Even though we've actually been living 10 minutes away from each other for years and just didn't realize it. So we're like... So excited to finally have biz buddies who we can hang out with on a regular basis on this little island in the middle of the Pacific. Fun fact, I'm going to be speaking at her event, her Seen, Heard, Paid Live event, which is coming up in Austin in April. 2017 at the time I'm recording this so I will leave a link below or in the show notes if there are tickets left at this time that we're recording in real time and you will be in driving or flying distance and you want to come hang out in Austin it's going to be a whole lot of fun so make sure you check out naptimeempires.com slash 020 for the show notes for this one. Now, we are moving from Hawaii to Texas soon, so my Aloha Fridays are numbered, but as often as Jen and I can, we meet up on Friday mornings while Bryson's at pre-K and Deacon's, well, it's usually before Deacon's nap, and we'll go for a walk at the harbor or around my neighborhood or just hang out and girl talk on the couch and catch up on whatever's going on. And I just love hearing her stories, her perspective, her wisdom on life, business, and all things in between, and she shares so much of that in this episode, seriously, so much good stuff. I know I say that all the time. Just a little bit of what we actually cover in this conversation. What it's like having kids slash friends in two seasons of life, because she had her daughters in her early twenties and now she had her son in her late thirties. How she felt like a total weirdo growing up in Hawaii as a five-year-old who would love to listen to Wayne Dyer and NPR. The story of how and why her first marriage deteriorated and what she learned from that in hindsight. How she made the shift from corporate executive to entrepreneur in the Bay Area to Honolulu. Right time, right place, right niche. Lessons from building and losing a multi-million dollar brick and mortar empire in Hawaii and why she says she'll never do it again. How she went from, quote, baller status to being scared for her life. The power of the bounce back muscle. Why focusing on self and personal development was the key for her. And quality over quantity. Making the choice to saying yes to having it all, yet knowing it doesn't all have to be equal. I really love what she has to say about this and all the realizations that she had between thinking that she can only pick. You know, you can pick two. You can't have all these things you can pick two. So I love her reframe on that. And then one secret to success in her second marriage and transitioning to a blended family with teenagers and a baby. Again, there's so many just real-life nuggets in here, and her story is fascinating, incredibly inspiring. You're in for a treat. Enjoy. All right, Jen Kim, it is very rare for me to actually be Zooming, Skyping, or any other kind of call with someone who's actually in my time zone.
1: What?
0: Right? Awesome. I can't believe it took us this long to meet in person, but I'm glad that we did. Jen Kim is actually in Hawaii with me, people, in case you didn't put that together. So thank you so much for joining us. And opening up to talk naptime empires. I know about your story because we talked about it at Nico's on the pier the other day, but I would love to kick off just by starting off and you kind of painting the family picture so that we can see because you've actually kind of gone through a couple of naptime empire phases in your life. So tell us about your family and your kiddos and how your businesses have you know come to be in the midst of all of that.
1: I love how you put that because I didn't realize that I had gone through multiple phases of Naptime Empires until I met you, Miss Awesome Nikki. And first, before I even jump in and even talk about me, I just want to say thank you for inviting me. And I'm so excited about what you're doing with this podcast, because I think it's so important, especially for those of us that are mompreneurs or trying to figure that all out. I think this is such a great resource. So thank you for inviting me to have this chat. So
0: my pleasure. I'm glad to
1: have you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, You know, it's interesting. I have a very interesting story. I always tell people that I have two phases of friendships in my life with other (laughs) women. And one phase is all of us who had kids when we were in our early 20s. And then there's the phase of gals who have had kids that are in their late 30s or early 40s. And the crazy thing about me is I'm in both categories. (laughs) (laughs) So I have a group of friends who can totally be babysitters to my two-year-old. And then I have a group of friends who ask me if my daughters will be babysitters to their young (laughs) ones. And so it's kind of cool, you know. (laughs) Exactly. And so my story is kind of interesting. I totally have that different seasons of life thing going on. You know, I grew up in Hawaii and very fish out of water, weirdo, alien. I like to call myself Gene Grey, the mutant. I grew up in a really small town here in Hawaii, which again, we both live in and we're able to run our companies from here, which is really cool. But growing up, I felt like a fish out of water. I didn't. Align or resonate with anyone around me because I came straight out of my mother's womb wanting to build an empire. I don't know where that came from, Nikki. I really Mm. don't. I literally was born ambitious, yet totally wanted to be everyone's friend. Like I was like, I want to bring all of you with me to let's go help the world. And I had this very, I was the kind of kid who was five years old reading the newspaper in the morning with my grandma, listening to NPR on the radio on the way to babysitters with my parents would drop me off and I would watch PBS and not just Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, but I was watching Wayne Dyer, like at five years old. All right, getting it <laughs> yeah, in. Yeah, so I was like, one of those weird kids? And my parents didn't really know what to do with me, but I had this really great vision, Nikki, that not only would I help people doing, I didn't know what at the time. I just felt like I had a calling on my life. But I wanted to be a mom, too. Like, I was very clear, I'm going to be married by the time I'm 25, I'm going to have 2.5 kids mm-hmm. and I'm going to be, when I got a little bit older around 10, I realized, Oh I thought I would want to work in the corporate world. Cause I just thought that was like a good job to have. Right. Mm-hmm. Notice the air quotes that you can't see right now, but like good job to have. Right. And so I basically set my sights on doing that Nikki out of the gate. And so literally I did the good Asian girl thing. Cause I'm of Asian descent. And so I did my, I went to school, got top grades went off to college on what we call the mainland so for those of you who are not familiar with hawaii people we call like the continental u.s the mainland and knew right away i definitely didn't want to go to school here i wanted to you know i wanted to see the world and so i went to school in the bay area san francisco bay area and then i got my mba for berkeley and the crazy thing is is that along the way i also got married and quickly had one child because I wanted to get it done, girl. I was Mm -hmm. like, I want to have my baby right away. So at 22, right, literally, I was four months pregnant, walking, getting my diploma for my bachelor's degree. Oh, wow. I was totally happy, like totally happy with it. I was like, yay, you know, this is exactly what I wanted. I want to have my two kids before I'm 25. Like, really, that was my thing. And I'm going to go and I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. And I, I never crazy me. I never thought that would be hard. So I think that's kind of cool. But on the other hand, boy, when I really figured out what it was going to take, that was kind of a wake up call, right? It was like, Mm. oh, great. Because we had moved, you know, to California. I got my career started in the corporate world in Silicon Valley during what I call the first Silicon Valley boom. And because I was so, quote, unquote, ambitious – I was very clear. I'm like, I'm going to run Yahoo or now Marissa Meyer is doing that. But just imagine it probably would have been me had I not changed my <laughs> direction. <laughs> right. <laughs> but literally like, that's what I always say that. Cause we're the same age, Marissa Meyer and I, and I'm like, Oh, I would have totally been her. So anyway, but what I found out really early Nikki is that, Oh my gosh, like trying to juggle being ambitious, being a good wife and being, you know, a good mother, to my baby was like oh this isn't easy you know this is pretty challenging although i was trying to be happy i definitely felt the pressure like and i felt out of control if that makes sense because mm-hmm. like i said i had this clear vision of being in control if you will and then you have a baby and like you have no control i'm clear that god puts women you know the people who push babies out because we probably have <laughs> the ability to flex and move around what's happening. But I got to say, like, I was totally coming in it, like thinking, oh, this is, been, I've got everything structured. And yeah, babies don't, like, you try to put them in structure, but they've got their own intentions. Mm, and, and, mm-hmm. and so I found out very early. So on one hand, I'm very grateful because I probably, I don't know. I don't know if I would have had more kids later if Michaela, my oldest, hadn't given me the opportunity. She was, ooh, she was a challenge girlfriend. She was, the cutest baby and the loudest, like never, <laughs> never stopped either crying, talking, yapping. Literally, she never not made a sound. And to be honest with you, Nikki, she's still the same. She's an <laughs> like, socialite, extrovert. So I also had to kind of like learn how to manage that and try to let her be free and open without putting her down and be like, even though, like, sometimes I just want to tell her, shut up, like, be me, <laughs> but, um, like, you know, it was really rough. So, anyway, I will say, you know, kind of, I could tell a thousand stories about what happened in my 20s, but the bottom line is, it really did affect me, meaning I started feeling out of control. And as a result of that, the only my marriage started deteriorating, and I'll just be like, I'm very transparent with that yeah. because I started becoming, you know, this whole thing, like, you got to choose work, family. And then you bl- you kind of blend family, but it's really not family. Like, you should be prioritizing your husband and your kids. But as a mother, I didn't realize, but I was really not prioritizing him. I was like all about being a mother. And I'm like, I don't have room to be three things. I can mm. probably only be two things. So I'll be a mom and an ambitious woman. But being a wife, too hard, too irritating, you know, you annoy me, that whole thing. And that was really happening. And now don't get me wrong, like my ex-husband and I, and we have this kind of like, Demi Moore Bruce Willis thing going on now I can (laughs) gladly say that you know we're really really friendly and very much committed to our two daughters and by the way so we have a second daughter you know growing them up but again rewinding I just want to say that like I went through I don't know if any of your listeners can resonate with like that really tough time period where I didn't think I had the option to be good at all three. I felt like I had to choose one or two out of the three. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, I tried to throw band-aids at it. So like my ex-husband was, uh, he loves Hawaii. He's from Hawaii too. And if you're from Hawaii, you understand there's this, this kind of local mentality. And I had this worldly mentality and I felt like, oh gosh, we're not compatible anymore. But I very much wanted to save my marriage, Nikki. So it's the reason why I live in Hawaii today is this whole story is I literally said, look, I can create my ambition anywhere, but I want to work on my marriage. And so he, cause he was like, I just don't love, love living here. Maybe if we went back home, maybe we got more help from our family. Right. Cause you know, That's also part of it when you're building a naptime empire is like, you need help. You need support. Exactly. And we knew that we could get it more if we lived in Hawaii. And I was like, I'm never going to make any money there, but okay, great. Let's go Mm. move back here. And, you know, by a miracle, I'd always say this about my second child. Like I get pregnant during this really volatile time in my life. Like we move back and I'm literally getting on the plane and I find out I'm pregnant with baby number two. So it was a very interesting time and we moved back to Hawaii and we definitely gave it seriously the good college try and we stayed together for another two years, but we just couldn't make it work. And to be honest with you, I was like, okay, now I'm stuck here. And I will tell you this, I was very committed to my children being around their father because he's a really great dad. And so I said, look, I can create anything. And so I said, the only way I can create something is if I leave my corporate job, which at the time I did get a job as an executive in Blue Cross Blue Shield, which is a big you know healthcare company or whatever. And I said, that the only way I'm going to be able to do that and basically earn a living and still see the world if I'm an entrepreneur. And that's how entrepreneurship happened to me. So that's kind of like the first phase. And I didn't even get to the second phase, but I just wanted to tell that part of the story because I think there are people like me out there that are probably listening
0: Yeah, for sure. So, and we'll just kind of like, we'll just ride through the time machine to go back and forth. So whenever you were in the Bay Area, and you were in that corporate, like, how did you balance because I know we'll have people listening too who haven't made the leap to entrepreneurship yet, and they're thinking about it, but like, how did you make that work or what were the lessons learned looking back about how to really show up in the way that you wanted to while still, you know, like going hard as an executive, you know, marketing guru in San Francisco?
1: Yeah. You know, because I was just basically ignorant about motherhood, like I, you know, my mom was a great mom, but she also was a working mom with me. So my only really model for, of course, motherhood is my mother and my grandmother My grandmother was an entrepreneur. My mother worked for the government. And so I saw two very different ways. But the thing that I got out of them was work ethic, right? So how I handled it while I was in the corporate world was like, okay, I was very structured. So I wanted to have all this control. So when I showed up at work, I was like 100% present. And the only way I could justify feeling totally guilty is for leaving my daughter in or bringing her to daycare I found the most expensive daycare thinking that's like the best, right? (laughs) It's like, okay. And I, Girl, look, this was in 1996. I'm really aging myself here. Mm. And in 1996, you know how much I paid for daycare? It still boggles my mind that I could afford it because I was still just a junior executive. I wasn't making more than like $40,000 a year, right? Okay. Um, And my ex-husband was also making the same amount of money. We're living in the Bay Area, which was still expensive then. It's still expensive now. I paid $900 a month for her daycare. And that was like crushing for us. That was more expensive than our apartment.
0: You yeah. know? And
1: I thought, oh, okay. If I get the most expensive, even though it's going to totally crush us, <laughs> yes. like, you know, financially, at least I know my baby's okay. Here's the good news. It was really a great place. And so... I've heard other horror stories from people who are like, I pay all this and it's not a great place. I have to say I'm grateful and blessed that it was a very good place, but it hurt every month financially, mm-hmm. time, you know, and all I can say for those of you in the corporate world who are dealing possibly with the same situation where you're kind of balancing like, gosh, should I Send my child to daycare. Should I get a sitter? Should one of us basically take six months to a year off? Like all those decisions we talked about, you know, and check this out, Nikki, about six months in, because it became so financially trying. And frankly, again, we were working on our marriage because there were so many challenges from the money conversations. As we Mm. know, a lot of divorces happen because of finances. We were getting so stressed out. We actually went back to our brass tacks and Barry, his name's Barry, my ex. He said, you know, Jen, what if I took off for six months and, you know, watched Michaela and, or, you know, stayed home with her. And then, so that way you could be freed up to just do what you want. Because he's, Barry will tell you, he wasn't the ambitious type at all. He his thing of work is like, I go to work to work. That's it. Like, I go to work, I get a paycheck. And that was fine. And I totally respect that. But mine was... My work ethic is such that, you know, you get rewarded for climbing up the ladder. That was my mindset back then, by the way, again, mm. that was my mindset back then. And so actually after six months of paying 900 bucks a month and really eating crow and couldn't buy a new car, he quit his job. And the minute he quit his job, it still unfortunately didn't work out between us, but I did start rising in my career in the corporate world. I don't mm. regret any of it because what it allowed me to do is get great mentors, which allowed me the confidence and courage to jump into entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. But that hard decision, and I think this is true of whether you're doing great in your marriage or maybe you're even having some challenges, that decision for us as parents really helped. Like it was really good. And again, I can say our daughter is now going to be 20 years old in November. I'm still tripping. Like I can honestly say we're such good parents to her. I mean, to this day, like, you know, she calls me every day, she calls her dad, like, and even though we didn't get along, really, I mean, on certain things, and we couldn't make it work, like, she always felt taken care of. And so that's my biggest win from that phase. And that also goes with my second daughter as well, although she came on the tail end of us, you know, separating you know, she feels very loved too. And that's because we were intentional. And I think that's the key takeaway from my 20s is that if there was anything that I was, I was intentional that because I chose to be a mother that I wanted to be the best mom I possibly could while staying happy. Because being in the marriage was not making me feel happy and it wasn't for Barry either. But being their parents make us extremely happy. And so it was that intentionality, I think that gives me that kind of, story. But again, I don't think that, like, I used to really feel guilty. Like, why didn't I just make my marriage work? You know? And I realized that this is exactly how it was supposed to happen, you know, for me. But at the time I thought, oh my gosh, I suck as a wife, but I'm good as a mother and I'm good as an employee or I was good as an executive, you know? And it was just me not being around the right people, I think. Meaning, like, no one was a negative influence, but I really didn't have anybody to talk to about the marriage stuff because all I got was, you're a good Asian girl, you should stay married should be a good mom and you should make more money. You know, that's kind of what it was. And I resented that I needed to be the trifecta of all womanhood. Like it bothered me. And so I rebelled and the loser in the trifecta became my marriage. So that's kind of how, like the long story too, when you ask like, how did I handle it? I just wanted to make sure my kid was safe and being well taken care of and felt loved. And then I would basically really focus at work and just you know, basically try to learn from the best. And it was intentional about doing that too. I didn't want to waste my time a lot at work doing things that would just burn my life away because I knew I had a child at home that I want to spend time with. And so I was very intentional even at work about aligning myself with the right projects and the right people so that I could learn and contribute more. So
0: it's all really, I mean, and it all relates too, right? Because I think a lot of people then, especially once they then start their businesses and then they assume it's because, they want to be able to be home all the time and then you quickly learn after you're doing that and you are trying to do both at the same time and you don't feel intentional about any of it. Uh, Instead, you just yeah. feel poopy about all of it because you're like, okay, I'm doing this email, but I'm ignoring you. Okay, I'm playing with you, but then I'm thinking about this email that I need to write or send. And so I think that's one of the biggest lessons that I see a pattern with everybody, regardless of what their support is structure and setup looks like whether it's having someone in the home you know hanging out and playing with the little ones while you're working whether it's actually having an you know out of whatever daycare or you leave and you go to an office or whatever and there's so much guilt around that because you feel like oh no if I have to have help then I'm failing because I did this so that I could spend more time but it's not about quantity alone I mean yeah it is for me for sure I do I do want to spend more quantity time than I would if I had a job outside of the home but it really is about quality because no amount of quantity time if I'm ignoring them all day is gonna feel good at all so it's important about finding what works and having those honest conversations with your husband or whoever the other parent and guardian is in the picture if there is one about figuring out what works and trying something to see if it works, as opposed to staying in a situation for too long that's not working and then beating yourself up over it, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. I just so resonate with that. You know, mommy guilt is a real thing, and it's a real thing. It doesn't matter how old they are. I mean, back to what you said. You know, this new season of my life, I had You know, ended up getting remarried, and I have a two-year-old son now, and we all live in Hawaii. Well, the oldest is now in college, but you know. The same thing goes, you know, the guilt hasn't changed. It's how I deal with the guilt and how I react to it. Mm -hmm. That's made my relationship with my husband improve. So I always actually thank Barry for, you know, my husband, Nate, because in so many ways, you know, I learned how to relate better to your point, Nikki, and not also try to be that perfect trifecta because the trifecta that I made needing to be perfect, I thought that one had to be the loser in order for basically that's, I love, that's kind of like the quantity over quality thing, right? Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, two out of three is still winning, right? That, right? <laughs> and now I'm like, no, I want all three. I'm intentional about all three. And I also know that all three, my value of all three areas being at a hundred percent is not the same anymore. Like they don't have to be a hundred percent. It's okay because on certain days there's going to be imbalance if you yeah. will, right? Because you've got to go like you know, this week I'm in the middle of a huge launch. And so, but because I'm better now at communicating, hey babe, just letting you know, October or, you know, last week of September, beginning month of October is going to be pretty tight for me. Before I wouldn't even say anything. I would just be like, I'm doing my my thing, you know? And so just even doing that level of, it doesn't feel great that they're outside playing in the park right now. Like they've gone out and taken a walk around the neighborhood. I'd really love to be a part of that. But for me, I did that yesterday. Like, and so I did that with him yesterday, knowing that I can't do it every day and forgiving myself for it. I think that's because, you know, when things around you aren't working, it really comes back to us, right? It's like, I always tell people like in your home or in your business or in your work, you know, leadership of others starts with leadership of yourself. And so in that trifecta that I speak of, notice, I didn't say anything about me, but I realized right. I'm in the middle of that trifecta. I'm the center. So when I got that, which I didn't get, you guys, I'm a late bloomer in that relationship thing with the husband, You know, I didn't really get that till my 30s. And when I realized, oh, okay, hello, I can be a leader of myself at work and in every other relationship. But it was like, in that other relationship, I was like, oh, I thought that was the one that could fade away. I don't know where I learned that because I didn't learn it from my parents. So, yep. but whatever, I mean, bottom line is, is that that center is what matters the most because when you start forgiving yourself and going, oh, okay, I can, oh, this is the other thing I always tell myself. I think the pursuit of everything is jacking us mommies up, mm. okay? So I always say this now to myself when I'm feeling mommy, like overwhelming mommy guilt or, you know, even friend guilt or whatever's going on if I'm busy in my business. And it's really like I prioritize the pursuit of anything over the pursuit of everything. I think the pursuit of everything is killing us. And but if we choose our anything, you know, the things that are priority, the things that to use your words, the quality over the quantity. And of course, like you, I'd love to have more time but when I am with my kids or I am with my husband or even in my business I'm present wherever I am and I think that's been huge for me because to me that's prioritizing anything over everything because everything so how do you
0: what does that look like for you so because this is absolutely a common theme that i know we could all work on is being able to forgive ourselves however the day turns out at the end of the day and if it wasn't exactly as we had planned again that out of control feeling Mm -hmm. like there's only so much that you can control And there is a lot to be said, to be fair, I do think that we give away a lot of it and we just tend to slip into victim mode as moms to be like, well, I can't do this because I can't do this because I can't do this because as opposed to owning the choices, like, well, actually we can, and it's going to look different than we thought, but we can, it's just a matter of choices. It's going to be a matter of getting more help. Yes, that may cost more money, you know, but it is, we have so many more choices, I guess, than we give ourselves credit for it. But what does it look like for you? And how did you get to that point where you're like, no, I really do. I feel like I'm good about being able to switch gears and be present in whichever one I'm focusing on at the moment and being intentional about it.
1: I'm going to be really honest. For me, it was a lot of prioritizing self-development activities for myself to get there, Nikki. And I think that a lot of women don't invest in themselves in that kind of way. You know, they always go, oh, I, you know, and it's not even that they don't, I don't think a lot of women say I don't need it, although some do. I think it's more like I don't have time for it. So therefore, I'm going to figure out how to cope in this outside world and basically, quote unquote, suffer for it. But then no one ever looks like, you know, they're suffering because women are great armor bearers of their own family. You know, they're not just mama bears, they're armor bearers. And so for me, how that looks is, I really think that my turning point was eight years ago. When I say turning point, I always felt like I was a very, again, worldly person. And I always, you know, like to learn a lot about myself and others and blah, blah, blah. But I think that was really like in an ego place. And I didn't realize it, but Mm -hmm. eight years ago, when I got divorced, okay, that was where I was like, you know, most people don't get married to get divorced. And I was really feeling guilty about it. I really felt like I was being selfish and that I was going to screw up my kids. I really had like all these thoughts, you know, and because of my ambition. And I mean, right now, even talking about it, I get still nervous. Like people are going to judge me for even my story. Does that I'm make I'm so
0: glad. Yes. And I am so glad that you're sharing it because again, you are not the only one. And there's going to be someone listening who's like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad right. she said that. And I was feeling the exact same way. So I love that you are sharing your story for that exact reason.
1: Thank you. And I also want to, I hope those of you who are like, love your husbands, and I did love my husband, but you know, are worried, oh my gosh, if I go do this other thing, it may tear our marriage apart. I'm trying to also talk to you guys too, because I want you to know that, like I said, if I would have eight years ago done what I did at the end of the relationship, in the beginning of the relationship, I actually think I probably could have repaired it. Now it always meant to happen how it was supposed to happen. I'm at peace with that now. But eight years ago, I basically jumped into massive self-development work. And I brought my girls with me. Literally, the kids were, okay, 12 and 8, okay, at the time, Michaela and Jordan. And I said, you know what? We're going to go on this personal development journey together. And mommy has stuff to think about and work on. And, you know, I want you guys to see the journey with me. And so literally it was, I went on these couple, like, Personal leadership camps with my kids Mm. um, and then a couple by myself. And it was, and actually, I invited their dad to come to one, which he actually came to, which I was totally surprised. (laughs) He's not that type. He was like, Look, if it's so, it really did help me, Nikki, because in 2008, when I had the divorce, I was like, Okay, well, I'm going to go do this. And that's what I did. And it Mm. made me realize that with all the things that I had done to be worldly, what I really needed was just to kind of like unpack and uh, like really get to the heart of like, where was I hurting or feeling like I was being unmet and dealing with that so that I could show up and be more present. Because the thing was back to like presence and spending the quality time and prioritizing it, even when the day gets away from you, which it happens still to me, like almost every other day. Okay. Yeah like anything can happen, right? Your Wi-Fi can go down. My did actually still down right now. And thing is, is that it just made me learn how to have what I call a better bounce back muscle in terms of like, if stuff flies my way, like I just like, it feels like I'm a ninja now. Like I'm just like, Oh, okay. So it kind of scraped my cheek and okay, great. And it, it grazed me, but no big deal. Like I used to take everything so hard, like, Oh my God, if, You know, I got to my daughter's soccer game 10 minutes late because I was running from an appointment. I used to feel horrible. Now I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm here alive, right? I'm there and cool, I'm cheering on the sidelines. And it's just this whole like not taking stuff so serious, like taking it more like, hey, I really am doing the best I can. And by the way, I hope this doesn't sound judgy, but you really have to be honest with yourself are you really doing the best you can? Like, and it's a discernment, right? It's like, it really is a discernment. It's kind of going, you know, am I resentful that I'm actually at the soccer game or am I really happy? I'm here. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm so happy. I'm here. Instead of thinking of like the energy or the stress that brought me there. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so happy. I'm here. I'm so grateful. I'm here. And so it's that it sounds really kitschy, but it's just true. Like gratitude and presence, even when there's chaos around you really help me like it's helped me go, oh, it's, it's an awareness. I don't know how to describe it, but it's just being aware and intentional every day just to go, if I do two great things today for me, then everything else is awesome. So mm-hmm. like, and it's that simple for me because if I made it any more complex than that, Nikki, I would just feel like I got to be a control freak again. And that I just realized if I could do one to two great things today and not just at work, by the way, actually just for me. So whatever that looks like, it usually spills over to absolutely my children and my business and my husband, you know? And then the other thing I basically say is like, I prioritize, I learned this from actually, which I didn't listen in my first marriage from our pastor who told me, you know, your number one relationship now is your husband. And like, I didn't believe in that before. The minute I gave birth to my child, I'm like, she's number one. Like it's all about her. Mm-hmm. And I knew, cause even though Barry was, awesome. Like a dad, like I was like, he's not going to ever bring home a lot of money. And that was, I knew that coming in by the way. So I just want to be clear guys. I wasn't like, Oh, thinking I was going to change him. I really knew that coming in. And that's why I thought, Oh, I got to go make the money, which was also fine with me. I love to work by the way. I really actually enjoy business. Some people like do a business because they think that's going to make them like, I actually love strategy and I love marketing and I love, it just excites me. So I knew that coming in, but I forgot what our pastor had told us before we got married, which was, you know, make your husband your top priority. And I thought, oh, that doesn't sound right. But what I mean by that, what I realized now in my, now I'm 42, but in my 30s, when I had this big aha moment and brought Nathan into my life, it was like, oh, like, you know, if he meets me at 100% him and I meet him at 100% me, then everything will work out. I wasn't at 100%. I didn't realize it. If that makes sense. Like when I say hundred percent, I'm not talking about effort. I'm talking about like loving me and being okay with me. And so I think for a lot of people, probably listening, like it actually works when you go, okay, we're on the same team. Like even when things are stressful, like in business or with the parenthood thing, and we're now a blended family. Right. So even that was a somewhat of a challenge, even though he's awesome. Like Nathan is amazing stepfather to my children, my children love him. It still was a weird transition for yeah. me to have these two older teenagers and then this baby that came and just really rocked our world in both positive and some crazy rocky times as well. Yeah. Right. So, yeah.
0: Well, I love what you said about, you know, you're focused on worldly, 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 and that's so much what you're thinking about when you're growing up. And then really the answer was like going within and really figuring out you, so that that's how you show up in the world. And if everybody would do that, then the whole world would be a better place because we could all figure out our own stuff to figure out how do we really want to show up and what really lights us up. And I love that you talked about asking yourself and being honest about it. Are you doing the best you can? And it's not to put pressure on, but it's about being honest with ourselves and actually taking that moment to step back because it's so easy to go through the day on autopilot So to actually make it a practice, a practice doesn't have to be a habit because it's, you know, some days you're going to forget, but practicing, taking a moment to step back and actually ask like, okay, well, am I really doing it? Because if you're not, if you're not showing up the way that you want to show up, you're always going to feel that dissonance and you're always going to feel like, uh, this is not in alignment with the values that I know. Like if I'm just literally wasting time and not doing something that's worthwhile in my business, Stop it. I'm going to go play with Deacon instead because I know I'm going to feel better about that. If I'm just resisting and avoiding something, then I know I'll feel better if I actually do that thing. Of course, it takes that mental toughness to actually discipline yourself to do that thing. But at least getting in the practice of asking yourself and even asking, like you said, the one to two great things for you. Because for so many of us, it's our default setting to want to do well at work. It's our default setting to want to be good moms good wives, whatever that looks like, it's, that's our default. It's not so much a default to think about like, Oh, what are the one to two things that I can do for me today, regardless of which bucket they fall in. But once you do that and you take care of you, then you will be able to naturally extend that. You know, like once you're in a good place, again, showing up in your own world, like in a better way, as opposed to just thinking about what are the things I have to do today? I just, I like that reframe.
1: I love that. I love exactly how you put it. That's exactly what I was trying to say. So you are just so good with words. (laughs) Well,
0: that is exactly what you said. I just had to recap because I was doodling it over here in my notebook. Okay. So the other thing that I'm curious about you and we'll talk, I will have already introed you through your bio and everything, but can you just walk us through while we're still talking like the evolution of once you got back to Hawaii, you guys got Divorced in two thousand eight, right? And then you started your businesses, and I'm just curious to hear about like the evolution of the brick and mortar to what you're doing today, and actually managing multiple empires going on. So,
1: (laughs) yeah, yeah. Well, so actually, the timeline looks like this: two thousand and six is when I decided to take the leap into entrepreneurship. I left my job because we moved back to Hawaii the end of ninety nine, right before. Y2K, if any of you guys remember that. And then I left the Bay Area at just the right time before it got crazy. And then six years went by, I had my corporate job in Hawaii as a online marketing executive for Blue Cross Blue Shield. And then 2006, I basically said, you know what, I'm going to start this business because being somebody who always notices trends, and I almost have this intuition what's going to happen next in the market. And For me, living in Hawaii, I was like, if I'm going to start a business, I got to start a business where there's a niche to fill because Hawaii is known as, because it's so geographically isolated, monopolies do really well here. Now, monopolies (laughs) aren't necessarily, not monopolies in the most traditional sense of illegal, like you're not supposed to have a monopoly, but just basically the first person in here does very, very well. And I knew there was one thing that I was missing and I think all you mommies will resonate with this is (laughs) I could not buy a decent pair of underwear here. Okay. Sorry. Nikki, Nikki is, you know, she's her husband's in the military. So she has the NEX to go to. So they bring some cute stuff in, but us regular people, no place to buy drawers. Okay. No place to buy (laughs) some cute underwear. (laughs) And my whole thing was, this is kind of silly. Why do I have to go either to Walmart or Macy's and also like fight parking like Macy's is our big shopping mall here. This was back again in 2006. I was like, this is crazy. And so it was very simple, Nikki. Like I was like, I need underwear and I don't want to get a plane to go to California or Las Vegas to buy bras and panties. Okay. Which basically was Victoria's secret. And,
0: which imagine. now they do carry at the next as
1: well. <laughs> yes. And what's crazy is, is now they're here. But interestingly, in 2006, Les Wexner, who is the CEO of the Limited Brands, and one of my mentors, he doesn't know it, but he totally is. He's the founder of Victoria's Secret. Well, he was actually bought it for a million dollars from the guy who started it. And now it's like a $500 million brand. Well, anyway, I read this whole article. I started deep diving research. I said, oh my gosh, I got to open an underwear store. That's how simple it was, Ricky. I was like, I just got to open an underwear store. (laughs) And I, but of course being, you know, somebody who's done marketing, you know, in the corporate world, I was like, I got to do my research. I got to figure it out. So I did my research and I realized that, you know, Victoria's Secret considered Hawaii and Alaska international destinations. They even charged the international postage rate if you bought from their catalog, whatever. And so I started poking around being nosy and I even called their corporate offices and I'm like, Hey, are you going to ever open a store in Hawaii? And it was crazy because the person I talked to after calling them like four times said to me, Oh, we'll never go to Hawaii because that's overseas. And we're an American company. And I was like, uh, know, you <laughs> know, lady, but Hawaii is like the 50th state of the union. But okay. <laughs> okay. So I was like That was my green light to go full accelerator on this retail concept. And okay. Again, guys, I never, did retail. I worked in retail in college, you know, to make extra cash, but I never started a retail company. But what I knew was that if you're a good marketer and you know how to build brands that basically can make anything work, any business can work in my opinion, if you know, marketing and branding. And so I was like, I can make this happen because there's a desire or need in the marketplace. And it wasn't just me because I was asking all my girlfriends who'd come back literally from their trips with these big old pink bags, Victoria, I'm so proud to come and show like, us girls like why would be like showing off our underwear to each other like look what I brought back you know I'm like why don't you just shop here so anyway 2006 you know to finance this idea I actually borrowed equity from my house and opened the first store in Honolulu and Nikki it's crazy I mean I'm really proud to say like in less than a year I never knew how true it was that monopolies in Hawaii work really well because the first year I wasn't expecting the kind of growth we had we made in actually 15 months, not 12 months, but 15 months. I'll never forget seeing like at that point we had made $7 million in the business. And I had so amazing. It's crazy. Like I still get goosebumps talking about it because I didn't know. I literally guys, I went from corporate executive mom going through, and I was going through really rough times still in my marriage. Imagine like we were really trying to work on our marriage, right? We were going counseling all that, but I was like, okay, cool. So, My dream of ambition came true through my first endeavor. And I want to be careful here because I tell a lot of people today, like, you know, there's no such thing as an overnight success, but my first business really felt like that. Like it Mm. was like, oh my gosh. But again, I was right time, right place, right niche. Right. And if you can find that, you'll have a shorter journey to starting to make real money. But here's the kicker guys. So this was 2006. So imagine, fifteen months later, into the middle of two thousand seven, we started feeling the strains of the economy. Right, the Great Recession was upon us, and I literally went from like a kick butt year one to deciding, okay, now people wanted to me you to know, open stores on the west side of the island. You know, which over here that's like the Kapolei side. You know, different points in the island because I was right in the center of town, and so I took another risk because I figured, okay, great, I'm making money. And I'm gonna go open two more stores. So I signed leases, like five year leases with both places that I was planning on expanding on. All of the cash, you know, I had made a large majority of it I put into the capital infrastructure to build these two new stores. Because I don't know if you guys know this, but building out a store, you know, you usually need about two hundred to four hundred thousand dollars in capital to build what I call like this store was a very lifestyle store. You can imagine this is underwear, right? And so we needed it to be- It's very, rather lifey. Right, <laughs> fabulous, like really beautiful. It, You know, we definitely, you can open a store for less than what I just said, but you know, and I will tell you this while we're talking around the time, I will never open a retail store again, but okay, so but I loved it. <laughs> and bottom line is I couldn't have picked, back to like right time, right place, right niche, right? Just about 15 months earlier. Well, wrong time- <laughs> wrong everything in 2007 going to 2008 it literally like think about it guys remember how the car industry just totally like basically stopped i mean some car companies went out of business in 2007 like saturn and other companies because of the economy no woman's going to pay 17 for a pair of underwear we're going to stretch out our bra we're going <laughs> to stretch out our underwear During the Time when everybody was worried and holding onto their pocketbooks right so anybody in that type of you know business was hurting and it's particularly painful if you're still a small business and you don't have investors and cash reserves to sit on so the bottom line is this i literally went from seriously balling out like mega baller empire status okay cookie lion if you guys watch empire on fox yeah, <laughs> she, like literally scared for my life like mm-hmm. literally scared for my life because you know all my cash reserves were hung up in these contracts because you know here's the thing guys even when the economy is bad, guess what? The bigger companies, frankly, they don't care that much because they're hurting too. And so they're going to try to get their money. That's just business, right? But the small business owner, if not, and no amount of marketing, even though I say marketing is even more important and downtimes will help if basically just the market is flat, like literally who's going to buy again, buy panties for (laughs) 17 bucks, which was basically the average cost of how much my underwear costs. Okay. So it was like crazy. So, Let's just put it this way: December twenty third, two thousand eight. Fast like I tried to write it out, Nikki. I was doing everything I could. I was like putting more money into it. I was trying to like create more marketing ideas and just being as creative as possible. And I became very narrow focused. Like literally had my blinders on. I didn't see anything around me. And I gotta say, during what's well, up back to like naptime empires and being a mommy, that like 15 months of my life after the 15 months of like huge abundance, yeah. like the 15 months after of like literal desperation. I don't think I was a great mom at that time. Meaning it wasn't that I back to presence. Like I was just so stressed out that I couldn't feed them and couldn't mm. keep them in school and, and all of that. And I was already separated from my husband. We didn't live together anymore. So we had our own expenses and he had a solid stable job and I was the crazy one. And I basically, frankly, we did get into arguments about it because he was like, you know, you basically put everything at risk now because you could have had your old job and it was crazy. So a bottom line is two days before Christmas in 2008, even though I was hustling hard, girl, I was like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. And every week when I would make just a little bit of money, I'd be like, okay, great. I can pay the bills. I can cover stuff but I had to keep doing IOUs like my mortgage started getting behind it was just crazy Mm. and 2008 December 23rd I'll never forget I walked into my bank and you know my bank teller knows me they call me by you know my nickname Jen and I'll never forget the look on her face her name's Jill I walked in and she said I said hey Jill I gotta you know withdraw $200 because I haven't picked up Christmas presents for Michaela and Jordan yet and I gotta go get the bikes at Walmart (laughs) I got to, I need like 200 inch bucks, And I'm just yapping away because I have all this nervous energy I was living with like at the time. Like just, I felt like totally like a live wire. Mm-hmm. And she's like, Jen, slow down. And it felt like an Ally McBeal moment. I don't know how old y'all are. If you ever watch Ally McBeal, but it was like this out of body like moment where she said to me, you didn't get my voice now this morning. And I'll never forget. I mean, literally I like this, like my head felt like it was exploding. Like all I could hear in my head was, No, I didn't get your voicemail because your bank doesn't call you when there's good news. (laughs) Like, Like, you know, your bank doesn't call you and say, hey, we have more money. Like, they usually call you and say, hey, there's an issue we need to resolve, or somebody's trying to steal your identity, or something's happening, right? Well, my worst fears came true, like, literally because I was so behind, just trying to make it happen. And I had tried to stop the leases on these two new builds of these two new stores but they basically froze every single dollar in my bank account. And guys, stupid me, and I'll never do this again. I had everything in this one bank. Like I literally had my two checking accounts, my business, my personal, all my savings, everything. And when that happens, and if you ever go through a hard time in your business, they can freeze every asset for the time that they're dealing with, you know, like we're resolving. So literally two days before Christmas, I had not a penny. And I don't know about you girls, but I'm a debit card slash credit card gal. I don't like me trying to change in my purse, just mm. it down. So I literally, I mean, Nikki, I had no money in my wallet. Like I had, I don't carry cash and I still am actually still the same way. So for the time after when I had to basically, I felt like a miser and was hiding money under my bed. Like literally I was for a while after that because of what happened. But yeah. basically my money was tied up for six months during this litigation, you guys. And because all my money was secured with my real estate. They came after my house. I mean, it was just the most horrible time. And I was in the middle of a divorce. And it was back to when you asked earlier, Nikki, like about what changed for me. That was that year, eight years ago, when I also said the only way I can get through this is to figure out me. And that's when I jumped into personal development. So that's kind of bringing the story all back together again. Yeah. And bottom line is when I emerged from that, that's when I got very clear about presence, about gratitude about being clear on what I wanted that ambition could look different for me and that I needed to put back my feelers on because I was asleep that's the bottom line I was living life asleep even though people saw me as a live wire excited all the time and I think that's why zombie like the zombie apocalypse is so popular now Nikki because like we're living in a sleeping society Mm. and it's it's up to us to wake up and I woke up in 2008 and said this is never going to happen to me again like I needed that kind of hit To get it because I was always overcoming anything. I was like, you know, pinball machine, like any problem I could fix it. I always had a solution for that. And I just had to be real with, no, I don't have a solution for this. I just need to be with it and decide who I want to be, you know, this next phase of my life. And as a result of that, basically, you know, four years later from 2008, what I did is I went back to my roots, which really was consulting strategic work. I was like, I really loved helping businesses and I needed to feed my kids. I had to you know i literally had to like live back and i had to move back in. i had i lost my house i had to move back in with my grandmother and I decided I had to basically hit the streets, if you will. Not in that kind of way, ladies. Not in that kind of way. But literally <laughs> kind of knock, you know, knock on people's doors and show them my value. And my I realized that when I was a little girl, what did I really love? Being this worldly little girl. I loved to teach. I loved to help people find solutions. I, I loved business. I really, truly did. And even with losing in the business, I still loved it. That made me know I still love business. Does that make sense? Like I was like, oh, I don't hate this. I'm not scared.
0: Right.
1: I I just, I'm good at it. I just missed the signs because I was asleep, if that makes sense, to protect my assets, which now that's what I'm all about while I build. And I'm still a risk taker because I know better, if that makes sense. So now, you know, now I have a new business and a new husband and a baby and two amazing daughters. And that's the journey I had to go through to get clear on me if that makes sense.
0: Well, there, and there's so many nuggets. And when you were first telling me that story, I just thought it's so interesting and so valuable because as I was saying before we started recording, so many of us have never and will never have the brick and mortar, but there are so many lessons learned from your story about protecting your assets. I saw you mentioning that on a mutual Facebook friends message the other day and looking at yourself as an asset in your business, which again, ties back to the, conversation we were having about like just making sure that you're taking care of you. And so, I mean, obviously we could talk forever and I'm sure we will again, have another like take two episode because there's just so many things. Cause then we could have you back to talk about your expertise in marketing and branding and making it work because I really admire that about you and your like you had to get it done. Right. Cause you were saying you wanted this particular private school for your kids here. That's not cheap. You know, it was like that daycare was just the warm up for what private school in Hawaii would be, you know, that's right. And, and so just the work ethic to just make it work. And I love how you just said, I had to remember this was my value. And to me, that's something that I always told people, regardless of what your business is in my experience so far, It's about knowing your value, knowing who needs it and knowing how to communicate your value to the people who need it in a smart, authentic way. So what I would love to wrap with is just, is there anything that we haven't covered that you see as like, okay, look, you out there listening right now, building your empire and raising your little ones. Is there any one piece of like this is a lesson. This is something that I learned that I just want to make sure that I share so that maybe you can short circuit and you can skip over that one. Just step right on over it and you don't have to trip over it like I did.
1: You know, I would say that being willing to ask for help and support is probably the one thing that I wish I had done more and having a tight group of sister friends that you can be honest with and authentic and cry and laugh and forgive yourself. And, you know, even if you have to just spit out like when you're beating yourself up, but just having somebody else to be a mirror of showing you how awesome you really are, because we all will screw up. Sometimes we'll all like, not show up the way we want to, that's going to happen. But most of the time you're actually doing a great job. And I think that it's a daily just, accepting the fact that you are doing okay. You know, it's just that sometimes there isn't anybody to tell you. So I'd say, you know, find one or two people or a little group of people that you have like-minded interests. You definitely want to be in that space and, or that someone's a couple steps ahead of you. And I'm not just talking of definitely not just in business, but just in life. that They've learned some life lessons that can help support you. I'd say that probably, I wish I had done that more in my early twenties and thirties, but now it's like, air, like it's oxygen for me. That's really helped me still maintain my sanity while I continue to flex and move during my nap time empires. Right. And oh, and another thing is nap time empires, I was telling Nikki this before, sometimes mommy needs a nap. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) Amen. You know, you got to build your empire and get rest too. And I think rest is a big thing. It's been a big thing for me. So that's Uh, that's what I would say.
0: I've been known to literally... Like, we've had a babysitter. I'm like, you know what? Today, the best thing I can do is to take a nap. <laughs> so, I'll see y'all in about, even if it's a 30 minute pattern app, I'm like, okay, I'll be back. Cause there's literally only so much you can do if you're physically exhausted. Well, okay. I love your guts. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Where can everybody find you? Where are some of the places that we can track you down online and find out more about what you are doing to help?
1: Oh, cool. Yeah. Spread so, the word. Come to my website www.jenniferkem.com and that's K-E-M. Jennifer Kem. And I also have a really cool Facebook group. If you want to pop in there, it's called the Paid to Be You Posse. So for those of you naptime empire ladies who really are interested in, you know, learning how to build a business, you can pop in there if that's of interest to you. But I also talk a lot about just what's up and what may be getting in the way both in life and business too, because I think Success is an inside game in anything. So if you're interested in learning more about that, you can just look it up, Paid to be you posse and it'll pop up and you can join. All
0: right, sweet. Yes. And we will definitely link that up in the show notes to make it super easy. So head on over to Naptime Empires. We will link that up. And Jen, thank you again so much. This has been fabulous. And I know, I know that your story is going to serve so many. So thank you again for sharing it.
1: Thank you for having me, Nikki. Anytime. I love talking to you.
0: Likewise. This show may be over, but the conversation is just beginning. Head on over to NaptimeEmpires.com slash Facebook so you can join my free... Wait, did I say free? I mean priceless, rapidly growing community of Naptime Empire builders for deeper discussions, behind-the-scenes scoop, and, of course, updates whenever I've got new stuff coming up for you. NaptimeEmpires.com slash Facebook. See you there. See you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>